I feel like I've regained control of my life in so many different ways. And even though it's like a little bit hectic and kind of crazy, that's self-imposed. It's just this autonomy over your own life that we've kind of lost in cities. In cities, it feels much more busy mentality, keeping up with the Joneses, like status and image are really important oftentimes. And to untangle yourself from all of that and to reconnect with nature and to just be outside as much as possible. It has just been profound on me as a human. I just feel it's opened me up in ways that I was so closed off before. Now I'll hear a bird call and I'll know that we're only like seven weeks away from hope again, you know, and just seeing the way that the light changes color in the different yep. times of year, there aren't impediments on that. And for me, it's taken away that consumer drive that I used to have. Now I'm fed by being outside, satiate something that was really deeply missing in me. I want everybody to be able to have access to that because that is so important and such a big part of being a human being. a new way of living and I'm trying to get used to it. One park blues, half an ounce of an idiot, ordered a Manhattan and they call me a city, yeah. At first I hurt my feelings but it's kind of got a ring to it. When you move to the country they can tell when you're new to it. I'm looking at a place but I'm trying to keep fitting in. It takes too long to be a local so for now I'm a city, yeah. I'm Matt Zucker, and this is City It, learning to live and love life in the Hudson Valley. Episode 79. You might be surprised that I'm not the only person who moved from the city to the country and like it. In fact, long before we made the full-time move and we were weekenders, I was reading memoirs and books by other people who did it, as you know well from episode 76, Hudson Valley Bookshelf. Ditch the City and Go Country is one book on the list by Alyssa Hessler. I loved it. It's got great chapters like house hunting, neighbors, how your garden grows, meeting your mates, food, making that money, and yes, staying alive. Very consistent with what I talk about on this show, and also pragmatic, but hers is a fresh, different voice. But this book was only part of Alyssa's story. In 2012, she left the corporate creative world and moved to the coast of Maine. Yes, Maine. She launched the website and podcast Urban Exodus, featuring former urbanites who decided to move to the country. It's gorgeous photography and interviews where we hear people's challenges, triumphs, difficulties, and even failures since leaving city life. Sound familiar? Now, Lisa and her husband, Jacob, live in an old farmhouse and run Hessler Creative, a photography studio and workshop destination. They also teach photography workshops across the country together. So you know me. I'm jealous of anyone with a proper book and business, and she's a trailblazer and a creative person and has done both. Naturally, I wanted to capture her experience capturing other people's experiences. 
I wanted to know if she came across terms like city and in other places. I wanted to know what the triggers were for other people to make the move. I wanted to know a lot of things. So I reached out, sharing my story with Sidian, and plugging my main episode, of course, to show my love of her chosen place, Maine, to ask her to come on the show. And she said, well, she and her publicist said, okay, great. Hi, Alyssa. Hi. <laughs> thanks for coming on Sidian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. It's exciting to connect with you and to hear some of your stuff as well, because you're definitely in my wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I read your book. I listened to your podcast. You're like a role model for me. And <laughs> you're you're from Maine. You know I love Maine. I just did an episode on Maine. Um, I'm not from Maine, but I'm living in Maine. I'm actually oh. from way northern California, from a rural area, but way northern California. Yeah. So how'd you get to Maine? So it's kind of a, it's like a long, short story. I was living in Seattle and I'd been there for almost a decade and I was in New York for work, which I did like pretty much every week. I was working like a really stressful corporate job and, but it felt like I had like reached a pinnacle of success that maybe my parents or nobody else in my family had reached at that point. And so I felt pretty stuck. And I went to New York for work and I got invited to a party. And at the party, I saw this like handsome gentleman from across the room and went to the bar and got two drinks to have some liquid courage. And then a friend of mine came up and said, Hey, my friend asked about you. And he never asked about anyone. And he's so handsome and he's so nice. And I don't even know why he hangs out with us. And and then I found out that it was the guy that I had seen across the room and <laughs> I was just like, got butterflies and that is my now husband. And the uh -huh. night that I met him was the day that he had signed his mortgage. So he <sighs> is from Maine. He was done with New York. He'd lived in New York for almost a decade. He was trying to buy an apartment in New York and then ended up getting sued for his earnest money because he couldn't find a loan. And it's just like, it was all the compressing of all of the stuff that sometimes you can feel in New York. And he was like, I'm ready to just like go to the woods and be like a hermit. Like that's what I want to do. I want to go home. So I met him that night and he didn't tell me right away. He told me like three weeks later because I, I was in New York all the time. So I was like, oh, I could just transfer with my job. That shouldn't be too hard. Three weeks later, we kind of like long distance. I came to back to New York and I'd never been to Maine before. And we drove up and we met his entire family. And I walked through this house that he had just bought, which was just so surreal. And we did long distance. And five months later, I just couldn't I couldn't be that far apart from him anymore. Like Maine to Seattle was pretty, pretty long. Takes a couple of flights. And so I quit my job and I moved here in like the dead of winter. And I think that that was really kind of the impetus behind starting the project. It was really an exploration for me because I always dreamed like so many people, I think, of moving out of the city at some point and living a better, different type of like slower life, more intentional life. But it didn't feel like I had a pathway there until I had accumulated enough of a security blanket to be able to do that. And I was not in that position. And then it just kind of like 
the doors open for me, but then I ended up in the country and I was like, now what do I do? <laughs> you right. know, like, and my job, I couldn't work that job anymore. Cause I flew all the time. And the nearest airport is like a hour and 45 minute drive away. I started the project really out of that curiosity and wanting to connect with other people who had done it and learn from them so that maybe I could speak to people who were like me, who were dreaming of it. And it didn't feel tangible for them so that they could feel like they maybe had a pathway there as well. Yeah. So talk more about the project itself. So this is Urban Exodus. Mm -hmm. So I moved here in 2012 and in 2013, I had bought the URL before I had left the city. I just, I just thought it was like a catchy name and, and I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe I'll like do a little blog of, you know, me trying all my friends thought I was nuts. Like they were like, what are you doing? You're going to move to this small town in Maine. They didn't, most of them had never even been to Maine. But then when I got here, I was kind of like, I don't really want to write about myself and my own experience. Like, I don't think that that's very interesting. I'd rather try to create community with people that maybe that aren't just based here. I started here. So a lot of my stories were first based in Maine because I was the easiest and they were kind of like friends that I had known who'd made that transition. And so I would take pictures of them and then I would interview them and like real questions, like questions that I wanted answers to, like, how do you make it work? Did you pivot your job? How do you make it work financially? What are the hardest seasons for you? How have you built community? All of these things that I was really yearning to know different answers to. So I started in 2013, I probably did like 20, 20 to 25 stories. And then I launched the website with about that many stories. And then I just, I don't know, every person that I met and photographed, it just like fanned this beautiful fire inside of me. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hold space for people and talk through their stories so that they can even see the progress that they've made maybe. Cause I think when you move to the country, it feels like you just are, you have a never ending to-do list and you're never yeah. going to get on top of it. Exactly. And to be able to have that perspective of reflecting back a little bit on your journey. Oh, you know what, actually I've done some things and I've learned some things and I'm happy to share them with you. So that was really beautiful. My background of project management and working in the creative world was very helpful because I made a little spreadsheet and I, I just like find stories, just little people who had blogs or people who had Instagrams and, and I just put their names on it and where they lived. And I'd reach out to them and ask if that was their story. And then if they said, yes, I'd be like, great, someday I'm going to come and I'm going to see you. And in 2015, we did this cross-country road trip. My husband's a fine art photographer and he was shooting for two projects that he was working on, one about rising sea levels and one about industrialized agriculture. And I was photographing for Urban Exodus. And so we drove 13,000 miles. We kind of took a map of the U.S. and we put all the dots and just kind of zigzagged around to our different places that we wanted to go to. And we didn't have kids and we slept in our car and our little dog came with us and it was so much fun. And I think that what a great way to see the country through people who live there and you're getting their story. Wow. Absolutely. And it was parts of the country that I'd never seen before, because even if you drive across the country, you're usually on interstates and rural communities have been bypassed by those interstates. And so I had so many excuses to go off the beaten path and go down. We lost 
track of how many dirt roads we went down. Mm. And I just got to see parts of the country that I never would have seen before. And through the eyes of people that live there, which is the best way to travel, in my opinion, like if you have friends or somebody that has some tie to the area, that's the best way to see it. What kind of common themes are you finding among the people who make this choice? Does anything stand out? Well, there are a few and they've kind of evolved over time. Like it's changed over time. So I think that there's just like this, this wanting to have more space and room to grow, wanting to have more autonomy over your life and learn more self-sufficiency skills. We kind of are detached and removed from ways to keep ourselves alive. Oh yeah. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. This is this. You know, I mean, like (laughs) I was the same. I couldn't keep a basil plant alive. I couldn't do anything for myself. And so I think that it's a conscious choice by a lot of people. They're, they're acknowledging that that isn't something that they know anymore. And that makes them feel uncomfortable and they want to change the way that they're living. I also think people getting of tired of the rat race of being on a hamster wheel or a corporate ladder, or like you have to postpone your dreams for retirement when you could like work towards and live them in the now, because who knows how long you have to live. And then later in the project, five years ago, I started to see not a shift, but a lot more stories of climate related moves, kind of the first kind of wave of climate refugees of people that were actively moving because they were worried about water scarcity and fires. That was really interesting to me because it was such a lens of people's real lived experiences and what I think the future will hold and why there's been such an influx of people in like even the last four years. You know, there's like the pandemic, but there's also the fires and the droughts and that scarcity makes people want to reconnect with how they can better take care of themselves or be in a place where maybe they feel like they're supported by a community. Have you sensed any moment in time that has been a trigger for, for people? I mean, yours was, you, you met a guy. So, you know, that was a, that was the moment in time. Yeah. Did you sense from anyone else about when they're deciding to do this or what the triggers are? A big piece of it for some people is having kids or wanting to have kids and cities are so expensive. And even if you're working a decent paying job in some cities, you can't afford a bigger place to move into. Another piece was people starting to be more open to the idea of telecommuting because that's less of a leap. That's less of a scary thing. It's like, okay, I can maintain, you know, maybe the amount of money that I'm making every year but I could do it from a home office and be in nature and hike in the morning as opposed to spending 45 minutes in traffic each way commuting. That is a big trigger point of just wanting to have better work-life balance and wanting to be more connected to nature and community. And the word city that I use, are there other words like that you've noticed either from Maine, I did a thing on Flatlanders, or other places in the country. I was curious if this kind of derogatory, but yet funny compliment, well, I think it's a compliment. Not everyone does. If that exists in all your travels, you're probably the best person to ask. I mean, it does. I I think that people from away, that's a big one, or summer people where I live in Maine. Oh, summer um, people. Because there's a giant influx of summer tourists that only live here for two months out of the year, which 
definitely helps our economy, but also like none of the houses on the water are occupied year round. And what does that do to a community? Yep. Um, because that wasn't the way 20 years ago. So I think that those terms are used. And I think like part of me, the reason why I want to keep doing this project and trying to educate people on both sides of the people coming in, maybe aren't you don't have to be at odds with them, but then also to the people coming in, here's how you be a community member. Here's how yep. you come in and not lead immediately. Instead, listen and don't think that you know the way or the right way right away. And I think the term city, it, I definitely heard that a lot. And I think that if it's used by yourself in a self-deprecating fashion, I think that it works. But I think that all labels and stereotypes in regards to the urban rural divide, they should just be like, let go because ultimately all people want the same things in life. They want to know that their, that their loved ones are secure. They want to thrive. They want access to basic human needs and they want to have access to the outdoors and people don't have that. Not every person has that. And it, that shouldn't be a privilege to be able to have those things. I've heard a lot of terms and even when the pandemic hit, people were coming to their summer houses in Maine to get away from the cities. And there was a lot of anger and frustration. And I heard of stories of cars with out of town plates getting keyed at hiking trails and stuff oh, like God. that. I think that this is going to happen more and more, especially with climate and with more people telecommuting and jobs shifting to the more online space. So as much as we can figure out how we do this in like a respectful way, I think is really important. City is supported by Sunflower Market. With stores in Woodstock and Rhinebeck, Sunflower Market brings our communities whole health products we can feel good about serving to the people we love. Sunflower works with local farmers and businesses to provide a large selection of clean and sustainably sourced food, high-quality organic produce, and all-natural products, so we always know where our food comes from. Brian and I pop in for groceries all the time, and especially when we're having people over. Sunflower Market. Long live local. Thanks, Sunflower. Do you have any impressions of the Hudson Valley? I don't know how well you know this this area I'm, that I'm from or I'm now from. I've done a lot of stories out there, like back in 2013 to about 2016, I would say. I probably photographed and visited with maybe 20, 25 people. Oh, nice. I, I love the area up there. It's so beautiful. I think that Hudson has grown so significantly. I think Hudson to me feels very similar, not the same, certainly because Austin's grown exponentially. I think that if you are within a two hour drive or commute to a major metropolitan area and you have things like good food and, and interesting cultural activities and stuff that might entice city people, you have the real possibility of becoming a boom town and being really cognizant of the people that have lived there before and what that does to affect their day-to-day -day life. In Maine, housing prices have exponentially gone up and rents have exponentially gone up to the point where people who have always lived in this community can't afford to live here anymore and they're having to move out. We're having so, that too, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that my experience with the Hudson Valley, there's so much to offer there. It's such a beautiful place. 
there's so many amazing restaurants and stores and activities and hiking trails. And I know why it's a draw for people. I ended up intentionally stopping doing stories there just because I just felt like there were too many, you know, <laughs> and actually the same thing happened with, I started shooting stories in Joshua tree about, you know, seven or eight years ago. And now that whole community has changed and property values have pretty much doubled in like the last eight years there. And a lot of it is people that are just there part-time or Airbnb has been a huge thing there. And so I've kind of tried to be mindful as the projects evolved to not leak areas, maybe if that's the word or overhype things, because I want anybody that chooses a community to be really mindful when they go into that community and see how they can weave themselves into it as opposed to like, just be there and take the things that they like and don't be a part of the things that they don't. How do you choose what, what to cover? Is it the where or is it the who? Now I would say with the podcast, it's, it's the who it's people that I find really inspiring people that are doing really interesting things, people that have interesting stories. I've also looked for stories that are out of the United States. The project was initially all in the United States. I was supposed to do a tour through Canada in 2017, but then I got pregnant and had my daughter. And then I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> so the podcast has allowed me now to branch out to a thing where I don't have to be physically in the place where I'm going. And it's also allowed me to let other people tell their own story, which is so much more powerful than me writing their story. And so now I'm kind of a balance of people that I find really inspiring. They're doing really great things in rural places or even doing really great things in urban places that have to do with agriculture and localized resilience, because I think that's important in cities, suburbs, and towns for the future. And so trying to find people in those spaces and then finding really interesting international stories of maybe people that are returning to the, their home country roots, or maybe are being immigrants into other countries from the United States and why and what they've learned and what that experience is like for them. One of the things I underestimated moving to the country were the farms and the animals and the importance of that they would take in my life. Not that I have a lot of, I live next to sheep and, and goats. I don't have any, I don't know. Did you, did you find that at all? Or did you already do animals? I have a terrier. I had chickens, Aww. but my terrier murdered them. <laughs> oh so no. I decided after that happened, I'd gotten them in the pandemic and they become, they became like beloved companions of mine. And then my daughter accidentally let, after I, you know, I was at home working with my daughter at home. I finally got her to bed. So I would work at night. And she came into my office about an hour later and she was like, Dottie killed the chickens. And I was like, what, why are you up? Like, what? I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> no, I mean, now I can look back at it and be like, okay, this is an experience that so many other people that I've interviewed and met with have had. It was a good experience to have. My husband and I both teach photography and that's like part of the way that we make a living. And so we teach destination photography workshops. And so for me, I would love to have animals. Goats are the most incredible creatures on earth. They're like little dogs. They're so mischievous. They're yep. really funny. I would love to have all different types of animals, but they are a tether. And that's what I learned from people that I interviewed 
and not only a tether, but unless you are actively going to use them as part of like a farm business, they're very expensive. I have friends that have goats. I have friends that have pigs and sheep. And so we will go and visit and we'll buy their products that they make with their things. And that's my way of doing it without having to be tethered here all the time, which I think is Me a too. great off. Yeah, the yeah. same. Yeah. But I grow a ton of food and gardening has been a way that I think I've healed myself through gardening. Like I said, I couldn't keep a basil plant alive when I lived in the city. And I built in the pandemic, maybe 10 raised beds. And I have a huge stone garden as well. So I fill up a chest freezer that you could fit a human in every, every end of summer season with tomato sauces and vegetables that are blanched. And that has made not only is the process of gardening so incredible and therapeutic, but also the food from it, because in Maine in the winter, it can be a little bit bleak in the grocery store as someone, especially who grew up in Northern California where everything oh, right. is fresh all the time. And so I realized that in order to get through that darker and colder, that's a hard time of year for me. So in order to do that, like growing my own food, canning it, and then eating it through the winter saved me <laughs> in a lot of ways. Okay. So you're like the biggest expert I know about moving to the country. I mean, you know, all that you have, you've got a book, ditch the country. What kind of advice would you give people about making the move? I feel like a lot of people are on the edge. They're really close to doing it, but they just, they won't, they won't make that leap. There are a few points that I think are probably the most important. One is really finding a community that you really oh. love and visiting that place in all seasons. Another thing is maybe if you can work from home or transitioning your job into a telecommuting position, it's really hard to make like a city income in a rural place. And so if you can have that bridge from the city and keep that income, that gives you so much security initially to experiment when you get there. And I would say that telecommuting can be very isolating. And so I would encourage people to think about once they get there, communicating with their community and saying, hey, is there anything that you guys feel like there are any holes that, that maybe a small business could fill or something if you really want to start something on your own? The other thing that I would say is save money if you can. I think that people think that moving to the country will be way cheaper, but with inflation and bidding wars on houses in rural areas, it doesn't feel cheaper anymore. And if you're going to a place where you have to heat your house in the winter, that's totally expensive. And if you're used to living in an apartment building where it's too hot and you keep the windows open because the radiator's going all the time, that will be a very uncomfortable surprise to get a $2,000 oil bill. I would just say, figure out what you're going to do figure out the place that you want to go to and get a taste for it and go to the local places, go to the bar, go to the restaurants, talk with people, sit up at the lunch counter and talk with people and say, what do you really love about this community? Make friends in that community that can be a bridge to get you there because there, if you can meet people that really like you, they're going to go out of their way to try to help you get there as well. And that can be really helpful, especially now that some rural communities are having housing crises and it's hard to find rentals or hard to find houses for sale. So if you can make friends there, that's an easy way to 
dip your toes in without fully committing. It's hard to find friends as you get older. And when you move to a small community, that can be even more challenging. I think that it's really easy when you live in a city to have a very homogenized group of friends because you're meeting them through work or you're meeting them through the places where you like to hang out. And so it's all very curated. And so it's easy to immediately connect with people. But when you live in a small town, like my friends are all ages now. And yeah, right. I have to be so intentional about hanging out with people. And it's easy sometimes to feel like it can get very clicky and you're being excluded from things or the ebb and flows of people's schedules because everybody works kind of different odd hours. I only know maybe two or three people that work like a standard nine to five job. Most people I know are either they work seasonally on certain things and then they change jobs or they are their own business or they're consultants of some sort. And so find being really intentional about finding time to connect with people and make sure that you have that support system that has helped me in the winter and just being okay with going outside in the winter. And that was really hard for me as a Californian, because like the first year I moved here, I was scared to drive. <laughs> you know, in Seattle, it would snow two inches and buses would be like careening down the hills and, and everything would shut down. And so having it snow like a foot and then being like, got to go to work. <laughs> like, what? No. Do, you, do you snowshoe or ice fish? I cross-country ski. I, oh. I, I did snowshoe, but I find it very clunky and cumbersome and I'm, I'm like six foot two. So it just look ridiculous on snowshoes and on cross-country skis. I feel like you can go very quickly through the woods and it's so quiet and beautiful. Although with a changing climate, we haven't had as much snow accumulation in the last four years. So I've only had maybe five good days of cross-country skiing a year now. But that really helps and ice skating and we'll do bonfires in the wintertime. Oh, nice. Over. And I found that people like to hide out in the winter. But if you have an excuse to gather outside when it's snowing, people will show up. I've had bonfires where 80 people will show up because they're <laughs> hungry for that social interaction. Yeah, yeah, they're that's hungry right. to see one another, but they maybe wouldn't be the one to create the thing. But my birthday is in March and um, March is just the worst month in Maine. It like is the worst month. It's like snowing and muddy and, and raining and cold. And you just don't know what you're going to get. And, and you feel like the winter's never going to end. And so every March I have a birthday dance party and I come up with theme and people get so dressed up and they get so excited about it. <laughs> Great. Just having those moments and building community where you're inviting people to your party that you don't even know, but people have just said, oh, you'd really like this person. I think it's been really helpful over the years because the community is always changing here too. New people are always moving in. People are always moving out. And so welcoming everyone that arrives and nurturing the relationships that you already have established. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for listening. Sunflower Market, our sponsor, has stores in Woodstock and Rhinebeck. So please stop in and tell them City It sent you. It's time to pre-order those turkeys too. Thank you to Alyssa Hessler for coming on the show. 
Tune into her podcast, Urban Exodus, for great interviews. A new season is launching in November. Links to her show, her blog, and her book in the show notes. City had just won a W3 Silver Award for best use of original music and sound design. You can thank El Sueco and the Don at Space Studios in Red Hook for that. I'm Matt Zucker. It's peak for Leaf Peepers in the Hudson Valley, and we've still got some steam and great shows in this season. Tune in, subscribe, and come visit. Down in the valley, moved up from the city. It's a new way of living, and I'm trying to get used to it. One park blues have an ounce of an idiot. Ordered a Manhattan, and they call me a city, yeah. Upstate and chill. chill, chill, chill.